0: Our scripture reading today comes from the book of Colossians. If you want to follow along in your Bible, it's in chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore... Whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all things such as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices, and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Father,
1: we thank you for uh, your word, and we are now here to, to listen and to receive from you whatever you have to, uh, for us today from your word. Thank you for the ways that you've been moving and ministering to each of us already, and God, we pray that you would continue to do that by your spirit. Amen uh, Back a few years ago, I attended a, a conference at, at Regent College in Vancouver that was intended for pastors and I attended it with my friend josh and the whole conference was was about how pastors in their own personal lives can can maintain a spiritually full life and, and how the work of a pastor can be Uh, can be an overflow of our relationship with God. The title of the conference was Overflow, Spiritual Rhythms and Practices that Draw from Christ's Fullness. And it was really great. It was one of the best conferences I've ever been to. We we had sessions called Christ's Fullness in Seasons of Affliction, learning from Gregory the Great, who was one of the great popes from back in the 6th century. There was another uh, session that was Christ's fullness in glory, learning from Richard Baxter. Richard Baxter was a Puritan pastor in the 17th century. And another uh, session was spiritual practices for being and staying full, practicing contemplative prayer. Now, all of that sounds pretty fancy, right? But at the end, I leaned over to my friend Josh, and I said, it sounds to me like what we need to do as pastors, to stay connected to God is to read our Bibles and pray. (laughs) That that all of those things that we learned really had that at at its core, that if we want to stay connected to God, we should read our Bibles and pray. One of our foundations here at Broadway is, is steadfast worship. We've had uh, four foundations that we're going to be talking about this fall, Steadfast Worship, Healing Community, Uncommon Unity, and Faithful Witness. And the one that we're focusing on uh, for the next few weeks is Steadfast Worship. And as a part of this curriculum that we put together, we've, we've placed a summary under each of these four foundations of discipleship, and the one for worship is this. We serve a faithful God who never fails us. His steadfast love draws us to steadfast worship. What we've also done under under each of these four different foundations of discipleship is we have named two different practices that we as Broadway participate in together and as individuals that help us to do these things, that help us, for example, to uh, live our lives in steadfast worship. And the two practices around worship are... Responding to God's Word and praying with expectation. If you want to be a person who lives your life in steadfast worship, two things that you are called to do and need to do is to read your Bible and pray. Today we're going to talk about reading our Bible, and next week we're going to look at prayer. But before we do that, I want to talk a little bit more about this idea of worship and steadfast worship and what that is all about. There is a truth that is found throughout Scripture about worship. And it's not something that I remember hearing a lot about growing up, but it's, it's there, especially throughout the Old Testament. And that truth about worship is this, that we become like what we worship. That we become like what we worship. Listen to Psalm chapter 135, verses 15 through 18. The idols of the nations are silver and gold, made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, nor is there breath in their mouths. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. Psalm 115, verses 3 through 8. Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. But their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel. Feet but cannot walk, nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. And there are similar phrases also found in Deuteronomy and in Isaiah and in Jeremiah. Now, we in 21st century America don't think of ourselves as idol worshipers. Uh, We imagine idol worship as some sort of backward, ancient practice of of bowing before some image of of wood or of gold. Uh, The second commandment of the Ten Commandments is that you shouldn't make an idol or bow down before it. And I think we think, you know, no problem. Don't make an idol. Check. I've never really been all that good at whittling with wood anyways. This shouldn't be a problem for me. But the truth of the matter is, is not only have you and I broke the second commandment, it's the one that we break more than any of the others. Martin Luther said that you can't break any of the other commandments until you break this one first. John Calvin said that every single one of us, even from our mother's womb, is a master craftsman of idols. We are idol-makers. We are very good at turning to a created thing rather than a creator. We are very good at turning to created things to find comfort and safety and satisfaction and significance. And that's what idolatry is. The Psalms tell us, "...the Lord is my strength and my refuge." But we all know that every day there are dozens of things that you and I turn to every single day when we are stressed, or when we had a bad day, or when we're just plain bored. The Lord is my refuge and my strength, but we turn to all sorts of other things. We reach for social media, or for our favorite TV show, or because we have nothing else to do, we have a bite to eat, or we... Don't have anything to do, so we turn to pornography or to our favorite addiction. Don't make for yourselves an idol. This isn't about woodworking. This is about the things that we turn to other than God to feel better to comfort ourselves when we're stressed or just to experience a rush in an otherwise boring day. It's what we turn to to medicate our emotional pain that we would rather not face and look at. It's what we use to distract us. It's what we give our attention to. The idols in our lives are the, the priority in our lives that we give our time to. It's what we offer our bodies to as a living sacrifice. It's what we give our time in our energy, in our devotion to, do you hear what I'm saying, church? And the more pointed question is, what is the idol for you? What idol have you made in your life? The Bible says that the results of your idol worship and mine is that we become like what we worship. What does that mean? We become like our idols. The psalm said that an idol has... A mouth but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see, ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell, hands but cannot feel, feet but cannot walk, nor they can utter a sound with their mouths. I think there's a lot of ways to answer the question what does it mean that we become like the idols that we worship? But I think at the very heart of these two psalms that we've read is that at the heart of idol worship is that we become like them in that we become spiritually unresponsive to God. We were made and created to be alive to God. We were made to be in relationship with God. We are saying here at Broadway that we participate in steadfast worship by responding to God's word. Our idol worship makes us unable to do that. It makes us unresponsive to God. It makes us people who, spiritually speaking, have eyes but we can't see God. Ears, but we can't hear God. Mouths, but we can't speak of God or speak to God. When we ignore God, and when we give our persistent attention and devotion, and when we offer our bodies and our time as living sacrifices to something other than God, we become unresponsive to Him. We become deaf to God. When we worship idols, we become less and less sensitive to God. We do not see him at work in our lives and in the lives of those around us. And so the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, it warns us about idol worship in this way. We become like what we worship. And if we're really honest with ourselves, when we consider what we give our time and our energy and our attention to, to become like that is a sobering and frightening idea. But here is the good news. The invitation of Christian worship is that we become like who we worship. By the mercy and grace of God, when we offer our bodies and our time and our energy and our devotion and our attention to Christ, then we become like Christ. We become like who we worship. For the one who worships Jesus, the message that we become like what we worship is really, really good news. Because the promise of this message is that as we devote ourselves to Christ, as we worship Him, as we offer our bodies and our attention and our devotion to Him, then we become like Him. And so if it's true that worshiping idols make us like those idols, spiritually dead and unresponsive to God, the truth is when we are responsive, uh, when we worship Jesus, we become responsive to God as Jesus was responsive to God. Jesus lived his whole life in response to his heavenly father. He sought his father's will. He listened to the words of his father and he acted on them. And we are invited as we follow Jesus, as we worship Jesus, to come to know our heavenly father and to respond to him in the ways that Jesus did. Like Jesus in our daily lives, by the grace and power of God, to live our lives in response to the word of God. In the sermon last week, I said that we are always worshiping, always worshiping. Romans 12 says, offer your bodies to Christ as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Every moment of every day, I want to suggest to you, we are worshiping. We are offering our bodies to something or to someone. And so the question that I want us to consider today as we think about this idea of worship is to think about our habits and our daily routines. Our habits and our daily routines, and and ask the question, are those habits and daily routines in our lives, are they numbing us and deafening us to God? Or are they making us alive and responsive to God? Are the daily habits and routines that we have Are they helping us to see and to hear and to recognize him as we go about our lives at home and in our neighborhoods and at school and in our workplaces? So I want us to consider today a bit of our daily habits, the things that we do without thinking about doing them, and to consider how those daily habits... If we, if we choose the right ones, and with intention and with God's help, choose the right ones, how they can make us alive to the presence of God. Turn with me to Romans chapter 12. I'm going to read the first two verses of Romans chapter 12. Paul writes, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy I want to suggest to you today that our our habits, the things that we do every single day, many times without thinking about them, that those habits actually create certain priorities and create certain devotions in our heart, certain affections in our heart. I think that sometimes we believe that if we if we think the right things in our brain, if in our minds we have in order what the right priorities in our life would be, then out of that naturally will flow the right kinds of actions. And that's almost always wrong. <laughs> think, about, think about our New Year's resolutions. It's September. September, how many of you are still keeping your New Year's resolutions? You had a, a priority January 1st, but that priority over time has, has lost its significance in your life. I think what is more true about us is that our habits, the things that we do each day, begin to train our minds and to train our hearts in a certain direction. So it's less, uh, certainly right information is, is important, and knowing uh, what is true and what is right and is good is important. But what is also true is the daily routines and habits that we have help us to understand and to learn what true things are. It works in the opposite direction as well. And so what I want to suggest is that we need to pay attention to our daily routines and habits because without knowing it, they are shaping our minds and our hearts to a particular pattern. And Paul says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. So I just want to give an example to you this morning. Uh, this, uh, This may be a pattern in your life. I suspect that it is for many of you. Many of you in the morning, uh, the alarm goes off, and you roll out of bed, and you kind of shake the sleep out of your, out of your head, and you, the first thing you grab is your phone. Right? Amen. Am I the only one? <laughs> okay. and, and, and you begin to, to see who texted you the night before, and you begin to, to scroll through your news feed or your social media feed. Uh, I want to suggest to you that that, that, that habit... That action, that ritual, that that is forming your mind and your heart in a particular way without you knowing it. Here's a a bit of a, a thesis for you for today. The spiritual forces of this world seek to conform us to its pattern through habits that distract our minds and arouse our affections away from God. Let me read that again. The spiritual forces of this world seek to conform us to its pattern, Romans 12, 2, through habits that distract our minds and that arouse our affections away from God. And so I think we need to be very aware as Christians the way that the world is seeking to do this And to think about the habits that we have in our life that are distracting our minds and arousing our affections away from God. And so let me just give you a a couple of of examples um, that that I've heard recently about just, for instance, the way that our devices train our minds. So um, on Facebook, if you have a, a, a notification that someone has sent you a message, I don't know if you've ever noticed this. But if you go up there and if you click on that little symbol there that says that somebody has sent you a message or has responded to something that you said, you click on the message and there's that little wheel that spins that acts like it's thinking. You know what I'm talking about? That isn't because your internet is slow. Facebook has actually designed itself in that way so that when you click on that, you will have a moment to have to wait and to anticipate something that's going to happen. It's actually designed by them to do that, so that we will have this moment, this second or two where we have to wait in anticipation for what we're going to see. Who was it that responded to me? Who was it that, 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 that sent me a message? This longing for, con- Facebook knows so well how much we long and need connection with, with other people. We know that we need longing and connection with God, but they use that longing in us to create these desires in us so that we will return uh, to, to their product. Now, I want to say that there's nothing wrong with that. Like, they're just doing their job, okay? But, but we need to be very sober-minded about the fact that the spiritual forces of this world are seeking to use those things and many, 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 many other things like it to conform us to its pattern, to be distracted away from God, and that our affections would be away from God. Does that make sense? We need to be very aware and sober-minded about that. The spirit of the world is seeking to use our daily habits to distract our attention and to arouse our affections away from God. And so, as followers of Jesus, we, with God's help, we need to be purposeful and intentional about developing habits and daily routines that direct our minds and orient our hearts towards God. To be very intentional about that. Colossians chapter 3, which Owen read for us a minute, minute ago, please turn there. Colossians chapter 3, it begins in this way. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Paul is calling us to be intentional here. To, to do things in our lives that set our hearts and that set our minds on things above. Paul's world was, was not much different than ours. It had its own distractions. And he is telling the people that he is writing to almost 2,000 years ago, and he's telling us today that if you don't set your heart and if you don't set your mind on things above, then it will very naturally be set on the things of this earth. By default, your attention will be directed vertically rather than horizontally. The world will very readily grab your attention. It's looking to grab your attention all of the time. And so he tells us, intentionally, with purpose, set your hearts and set your minds on things above, where the source of your true and abundant life comes from. And so I ask you the question today, as you consider your habits, the the many things that you do without thinking, as you consider your daily routine, are those habits numbing you to God, making you deaf to God, or are they making you awake to God? Now, all of this, it may feel a little bit overwhelming to some of you, (laughs) Um, Now, not only do I have to think about like reading my Bible and praying every day and coming to church, but now I've got like every moment I need to be thinking about the habits that I'm doing. That might seem like really bad news to you, but here's the good news. The Spirit of Christ that is in you is way more powerful than the Spirit of the world that's trying to distract you. And so the daily routine and habit that you commit with the Spirit's help to do I promise you, I promise you it will be used in a powerful way by the Spirit to make you more like Jesus. And so what I want to ask you to do this week is this. It's a really, really small thing. This week, I want you to consider your habits. Maybe just take a little notebook and jot out the things that you do each day without thinking. And I want you to murder one of those in Jesus' name. <laughs> and I want you to replace it with a small habit that directs your mind and heart toward God. This, I'm not talking about sin here. That's, that's something we definitely need to get rid of. I just want to say like the small habits that are amoral, they're neither good nor bad, but just something that you do without thinking... It takes up your time and your energy in some way. Murder it in the name of Jesus and replace it with a small habit that directs your mind and heart towards God. So, for example, if in the morning your first habit is after the alarm to go off, to roll over and to grab your phone and to be distracted in some way, choose some other thing that will direct your heart and your mind to God. This week, I did this completely by accident, but it has totally changed my mornings. On my alarm, rather than it uh, going off in the morning and it being like some sort of noise or sound, I set it to, um, to a song by Sarah Groves of her singing, Great is Thy Faithfulness. And so every morning I wake up with, Great is thy faithfulness, mercy and love. And it has totally reoriented my morning. I didn't do anything, really. I just, accident, this was an accident. I didn't like, do this on purpose. It was an accident, but it's really changed and shaped my mornings. Consider at night, if, if your habit is to spend an hour watching TV before bed, how about watching TV for 30 minutes and taking 30 minutes to do something else that directs your heart and your mind toward God? Reading scripture, a spiritual conversation with your spouse, writing a letter of thanksgiving to someone in your life that's important. How about when you get in your car in the morning and you're on your way to work? Man, I just, I punched the radio to listen to, to talk radio immediately. What if instead five minutes of silence? It's probably going to be the only five minutes of your day that's quiet. So why not five minutes of silence to just drive and in silence think of the things of God? Or perhaps have a, a, a memory verse that, you are, that you're working on and for five minutes to meditate on that verse. So here's my, here's my commitment to you this week and I have 250 accountability partners this week. Okay? I have a new practice. This is something I used to do a long time ago and for whatever reason have gotten away from it. So in the morning... I come downstairs, and I stand in the kitchen, and I make the coffee the night before, and so I I flip the switch, and as I'm standing there at the sink, what I usually do is I I look at my fantasy baseball and football teams. Um, I used to look to see if the Tigers won or lost, but I know what happened the night before already. They definitely lost, and so I don't bother looking at that anymore, and so I I look at my fantasy football and baseball team. So here's my commitment to you. So I'm going to turn on the, the coffee pot in the five minutes and 19 seconds that it takes to brew my coffee. Um, I'm going to, to have a memory verse that I'm, that I'm memorizing during that five minutes. Okay. I'm not adding any extra thing to my life. I'm replacing a daily habit that distracts my mind and turns my affections away from God, and I am, with God's help, going to replace that habit with a habit that directs my mind and attention to God. Would you consider something this week, some habit that you are going to murder in Jesus' name and replace it with a habit that directs your mind and affection to God? So, um, just a a few minutes talking about this idea of responding to God's word, and, and we'll be finished. One of the ways that we express steadfast worship is by responding to God's Word. Our first source, our primary source of God's Word in our life is it's the Bible. That's our first and primary source. And so one of the most important habits that we can have as followers of Jesus is regularly reading and meditating on the words of the Bible. In the Bible, we learn who God is. We learn who we are. Uh, we learn about this world that we live in and God's plan and his purposes for it. And so as we read the Bible regularly, we begin to learn how God acts and how God speaks and how his, his character is made manifest in the world. And we learn about ourselves and we, we learn about this incredible potential that we have as creatures created in God's image, we learn about the devastating effects of sin and about how our hearts deceive us. And we, we learn in the Bible about the deep love of God and the way that he has chosen to extend his grace and his mercy to us. All these stories is one great big story of God's mercy and his love towards his people. And so as we learn this story and as we read the stories of the Bible, we begin to discern uh, who God is and what his character is like. And, and then in our own lives can begin to better discern the voice of God in other areas of our life. We become tuned in to the voice of God in our life. For those of you who were born um, after me, um, I'm sorry, those who were born before me, You probably remember the radio tuners that you had to kind of work at a little bit to kind of get the station that you wanted. I think that scripture works in a very similar way to help us tune in to the voice of God. As we read it, there's an adjusting in our heart and our minds about wrong thinking, and it takes away that static and it helps us to listen to God's word in the rest of our life, in our prayer life, in the words of other people through God speaking to us through creation, and God speaking to us in the circumstances of our own life and in the events of the world. As we immerse ourselves in the words and the stories of the Bible, we become tuned in to the voice of God and the other areas of our life as well. And so I, I just have a few suggestions for you as you, as you think about what kind of habit of reading and meditating on the scriptures you should have in your own life. The first thing I want to say to you before I give you any practical suggestions about how to do that is what I want to say to you is please do not compare yourself to giants of the faith who read for two or three hours every single day and who just tell you that they can't get enough of it. It's really discouraging, isn't it? Like, they can be models for us. We can, we can look to them and think, wow, that's, that's something I can go for. But if you're not there, do not be discouraged. It's okay. It's okay. You be you before God, not some person who you think that you ought to be. So as you come to Scripture, uh, here's just a, a few suggestions of ways that you can immerse yourself in in the Scripture. One is to to read actually like long portions of it at one time. I just said you know don't do that, but anyway. Um, okay. <laughs> I, I think what I mean what I mean by this is that that we look at Scripture as as one big long story, and that we don't only like take out our daily bread and listen to one verse and just have that as, as, as our word for the day. But actually read an entire gospel over a day or two and get the whole feel of an entire book so that, so that the whole thing is coming at you and washing over you at one time. So that's one way that you can read Scripture. The other way is the very opposite way, to take our daily bread in that one verse and just meditate on it and chew on it and make that your verse for that day or for that week and to slowly meditate on it and chew on it. A third thing that I would suggest is to become very well acquainted with the gospel stories about Jesus. Just read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John over and over and over again. If there's all the other parts of the Bible don't make sense to you, those are wonderful stories, wonderful biographies of the one that you are choosing to follow. And as you begin to, to start there in those gospel stories about Jesus, you will become, over time, more and more interested about the other parts all around it. So, for some of us, we enjoy reading, and we enjoy sitting there and reading uh, the Scripture and to allow that to take, take root in us. For others of us, that's really hard. So just take a verse or two at a time and meditate on it, chew on it, memorize it, allow that to be the way, the habit of, um, of the way that you read Scripture. I think my, my point in all of this is your way is going to be your way. Your way with Scripture doesn't have to be Pastor Ryan's way or Simps's way or whoever else's way. It needs to be your way. But you have to decide to do that. I can't do it for you. Simps can't do it for you. None of the other staff or elders, anyone else can do that for you. It's something that you have to decide that you want to do. Colossians chapter 3, this passage that Owen read for us, ends like this. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and with songs. The key word here in this passage, and Luke Ash is already making his impact on my sermons, he reminded us this week in our staff meeting that the word let is the most important word in this sentence. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, and let the word of God dwell in you. The word let is both passive and active at the same time. Paul doesn't say to us, make the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Make the word of God dwell in us. We can't make that happen. It also doesn't say, uh, because you're a Christian, the peace of Christ will just dwell in your heart. Or the word of Christ will dwell in your heart. So there's some action we have to take here too. It's something that you have to let happen. This means you have a role to play. Through the decisions that you make and the way that you order your life, you have to create space in your life for the word of God to dwell in you richly. He will not force his way into your life. But if you create any space at all for him, he will fill it up. Give Jesus an inch, friends, and he will take a mile. (laughs) But you've got to let him have the inch. The best image that I can come up here is to describe this idea of letting as as growing a garden. There is nothing that you and I can do to make a seed grow. All of the work and the nutrients and the water and the sunshine, all of the work of germination and growth and the roots forming into the soil, all of that work is done while you're away from the garden. It's all done while you're sleeping. And it's done in a hidden place where you can't see it happening. But in a garden, what you can do is to create an environment that is open to promoting seeds growing. You can create a space, create soil that promotes that work. Our spiritual life, I want to suggest to you, is the same. We can't make the peace of Christ dwell in our hearts. We can't make the word of Christ dwell in us. But what we can do is let it happen. By creating space in our lives that allows God to do his work. He won't force it. He will not make you do it. But if you let him, if you open up that space, I promise he will fill it up for you. So I'd like to take a moment to simply be silent and for you to ask... God, what habit is it that I need to murder? <laughs> and what habit is it that I need to replace that with to direct my heart and my mind towards God? God in heaven, we confess that we are much too easily distracted. That our, our minds and our, our hearts are easily distracted towards things that that draw us away from you. And so, Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit that you would enable us to order our days, to order our time, our moments, so that our hearts and our minds will be directed to you. I pray that you would make us steadfast worshipers, that we would know that you are with us as we live each day in our home and as we go to work and as we go to school. I pray that we would know because of our consistent acts of worship that you are with us and that we can hear from you and respond to you. I pray that you would make us this, this kind of people. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.